This episode is brought to you by Dragons of Dusk and Dawn, a new novel by Aussie author Simon Higgins. Dragons of Dusk and Dawn is a thought-provoking, epic adventure, the exciting story of a remarkable turning point in history that could actually have happened. The TV show Vikings meets Art of War in this action-packed, non-stop adventure. Check it out now at undoredopress.com. Welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm Danny V, podcast host and children's author. I also do some work in publishing in acquisitions and publicity. As we hurdle towards one million plays, we'll continue to provide you with conversational, vulnerable, honest and fun chats with your favourite authors across all genres. Check out our takeover episodes, usually released on a Friday, and our spin-offs released during the month. Thank you for being here, being part of the journey and supporting Aussie creatives. Welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast, where we bring literary goodness straight to your ears. Today, I welcome a guest who I always love speaking to. He's a prolific author of children's books, a YA book that is quite new, his first one since 2013, 40-ish thrillers, which have been translated into nine languages and adapted for the screen. And I say 40-ish because every time I talk to him, he's written another novel. I'm sure you've all guessed, but we're about to talk about his books, Kill Your Husbands, and if you tell anyone, you're next. Welcome back, Jack Heath. Hello, Danny. Thank you for having me back on the podcast. <laughs> now, by the time we said hello and I introduced you, did you write another book? Um, only in my head. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, not really. I've, um, I have actually, my writing has slowed down. It just doesn't seem like it because I'm putting more hours into it. Like <laughs> oh. I used to write kind of six or 700 words an hour for two hours a day, whereas now I kind of frown at a screen doing nothing for 40 hours a week. And <laughs> the result is still like three books a year. Okay, the process has changed. Before we get into this, I'm interested in the process. So do you think the process has changed because you now have more hours to write books or do you write books and think about them differently now? What's changed? Um, I, I think mostly it's just that I'm getting older. You know how like... <laughs> oh, you're so kids... such a silver fox, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> it's like kids are full of energy and ideas and I was definitely like that when I was younger, whereas now I'm like... Um, I. Still still love my job but I also like a good sit down <laughs> and rest <laughs> and do nothing and stuff so um I think that that's a, a big part of it but it's probably also the fact that um yes I write full time and I think you probably only have so much creative energy per day anyway mm. there's this great book called Deep Work by Cal Newport that I read a while ago which suggested that um that you can only sustain a period of deep concentration for about four hours maximum, and even that right. takes practice mm -hmm. and per day. And uh, so I figure it makes sense to kind of slow down and focus on quality rather than quantity, especially now when, you know, the the looming threat of chat GPT is on the horizon. So it can do quantity and can't do quality. So yeah, exactly. I may as well <laughs> focus on my competitive advantage. <laughs> uh, I love all of that. And I love how process has changed. But talking about creativity, um, I feel like when you write, it does actually make you very tired and editing makes me even more tired. So there must be something in that creative space and focus that you can only do that for four hours and one day max with practice. Because I think it's a, a mental, physical exhaustion that 
you may not tap into all the time because it feels so exhausting sometimes. Yeah, I think it's um, it's easy to forget that your brain is a part of your body, you know, and in fact, so not only like the most important part, but I bet I'm not a doctor. Anyone listening to this should not be <laughs> like taking medical advice. I don't want to like Jack turn. is not a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and this is not the Joe Rogan podcast. So <laughs> you you don't ask people questions they're unqualified to answer <laughs> and then spread their their half-formed theories across the internet. Their opinions but, are, you know, masked as facts. <laughs> I'm just gonna say, best guess, I reckon the human brain consumes a lot of energy. And oh, I think so too. But my own experience was that, like, I went camping quite recently because I was quite behind on a deadline. I spent three hours, sorry, three hours, three days uh, just on my own with just, like, a tent and a laptop and a chair and a battery pack and a solar (laughs) panel to recharge my battery (laughs) pack and stuff. And at the end of every day, I did nothing but write. And the writing I did all sitting in a chair. So you would think I would not be tired at the end of those days, but I was exhausted. Mm. I would just collapse onto a camping mattress that ordinarily would be hard to sleep on. But I was so tired, I could have just slept on a rock. You know? <laughs> Over that three days, I produced 11,000 words, but it wasn't easy. Mm, oh, that's really interesting. And now that you said you're more careful with the words that you put on the page, do you find that editing takes less time? Um, not really. I think the being more careful with the words I put on the page actually just means doing more editing rather than less, but doing a bit of it as I go. I'm happy to sort of, uh, I'm not someone who can sit down and write a perfect sentence. I'm just someone who can write a bad sentence and then go, nah, that's not quite right. And then tinker a bit more and tinker a bit more and tinker a bit more. And I feel like in the past, there would have been a point where I would have had to be like, well, I'm out of time. The the sentence is what it is. (laughs) I'm going to have to move on to the next one. Whereas now I'm a bit more like, hey, as long as I'm sitting in the chair, um, I'll cut myself some slack. I won't worry that I'm running out of time on this particular manuscript. If I'm, if the manuscript is open in front of me and I'm not doing anything else, then I, I give myself leave to, to do whatever I want to that book without mm. worrying that it's not the most efficient way to work. Mm. No, I like that idea. I like all of that. Okay, we'll get on now to the books, but I was just really interested, particularly as process changes over time and particularly because you are quite prolific um, and you have been quite fast at writing books as well. But let's not forget you're a dad of two as well. Like that takes energy. That definitely does take energy, yeah. <laughs> I uh, I dread like the um, – I, I have sort of this recurring nightmare of my children as adults getting interviewed by you know someone like you and then saying well our father never really had much time for us when we were young because he was he cared more about his fictional characters than he did about raising his children they won't be talking to me jack they'll be talking to my children who say my mom was always podcasting (laughs) (laughs) yeah right fair enough (laughs) and you just saw my daughter actually walk in for a hug so that and give you a hug you're multitasking you're you're doing great constantly multitasking all right, I really want to talk about your brand new novels. You've got a thriller, Kill Your Husbands, and a YA novel, which I'm interested in. If you tell anyone, you're next. So hit me with a back-to-back elevator pitch. Start with Kill Your Husbands. Okay, sure. So Kill Your Husbands is about uh, three couples. It's fiction. I have to be extra clear about that <laughs> because there's parts of it that are autobiographical. I mean, there's parts of any book that are autobiographical, mm. but in this case, it's like 
things mm. that people would especially look at me sideways for. Yeah, anyway, yeah. Uh, that wasn't a very good elevator pitch. Let me try again. So there's these three couples. They have been friends since high school. They go on holiday together and each of their marriages is secretly a little bit on the rocks for very different reasons. And while they are on holiday at this remote um, mountaintop luxurious holiday rental house, uh, one night they've all had a bit much to drink and the topic of partner swapping comes up. And it's a joke at first, but eventually they decide to give it a try. And then, of course, it all goes horribly wrong. When the lights come back on, one of the men is dead and no one can agree um, who who he was with and the reader knows from the very beginning this isn't a spoiler that by the end of the weekend one of the women will be missing and two of the men will be dead you just kind of don't know which men are going to die which woman is going to vanish into thin air <laughs> and uh so yeah that that's the pitch for your husbands you want me to do the other one if well i was just gonna say yes i was just gonna say um i mean who doesn't try and fix a rocky marriage with partner swapping I mean, how could that possibly go wrong? <laughs> what could go wrong? Like... Actually, you know what? The This book had its genesis in um, it started out as an outline for a romance novel that I was working on. Oh, back. sounds very romantic, Jack. <laughs> well, the thing is, I, I still think that that alternate version of the book had potential. Like, I the idea was that there was going to be a partner swap but in the dark so as no one knew who they'd been with and then the course of this partner swap would cause one of the marriages where they'd kind of fallen out of love with one another to fall back in love with one another that was the idea and with the other two marriages one of the women was going to decide that her husband was a dirtbag and that she'd be better off without him and the other two people would realise that they should have been together all along as opposed to with the other people that they were with. So so in one case, the partner swap becomes permanent. In another case, a couple rediscovers their love for one another. That was basically the theme. But I could never quite get it working because I'm not a romance writer. I I don't, that's a very, romance novels are very, very difficult to write. Mm, I think You'd rather kill people than have people fall in love. (laughs) Well, yeah, basically I, I was like, uh years after this idea i was like but what if one of them was secretly planning to pick off the others one by one and Ooh. then i got the tingles you know the tingles at this time where like oh like, i would this read is that not a romance novel and instead of a love triangle jack is that a love hexagon yeah i guess so i actually my original when i say i had an original outline it was really more like a diagram <laughs> like Woman A loves man B with, you know, lines and stuff. Sounds everybody. very caveman. But, man A drives yeah, woman B. <laughs> totally. That's uh, that's the level of romance fiction I would be capable of writing. No, <laughs> well, look, don't undersell yourself. <laughs> don't undersell yourself, Jack. I can see you in a couple of years when things are, you're slowing down, you're just knocking out some, you know, romance for us. I see that Maybe. in the future. Why I not? do. I do tend to be writing what I was reading kind of 10 years earlier. Mm-hmm. It takes mm-hmm. my my creativity about 10 years to catch up That's to my taste. And at the moment, I'm basically reading back-to-back romance novels. So oh, maybe, um, 2033. Yeah. It's coming. Yeah, exactly. Let's put it in your calendar. Jack, we'll talk about your romance <laughs> trilogy. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> All right, now you're going to tell me about the YA novel, If You Tell Anyone, You're Next.
Oh, great. Okay, so uh, that's um, about a teenage girl. She's 15 years old. She's a, a podcast host, not based on anyone in particular. Phew. And she's making a true crime podcast. And then her co-host, a um, 15-year-old boy, just sort of vanishes into thin air one day. And everyone else thinks he skipped town, but she's sure that he would have told her if he was planning to do that. So she, because she's a true crime podcaster, starts trying to investigate his disappearance um, because the police don't seem that interested, and then quickly discovers that he had been trying to join an exclusive social media messaging group where um, the price of entry is that you have to pull on a Halloween mask and film yourself committing a crime. Wow. So he starts trying to figure out how he was connected to them and what they've done to him and mm. what they might do to her now that she knows she that knows. That's, the, that's the basic premise. I love your brain, Jack. You mm. do. <laughs> I don't know where this one came from. I don't have as neat a story as the um, the, the romance novel thing for the other one, but I do know that um, my public, I have a few different publishers. One of them is Scholastic in Australia, and they treat me a bit like ChatGPT in a way that I quite like. It's <laughs> one time they were like, hey, uh, can you write a book of short stories all in real time? And I went, okay, and wrote 300 Minutes of Danger. And then another time they were like, can you write a horror series like Goosebumps but not Goosebumps? And I was like, <laughs> okay, and I wrote the Scream series. And this time they were just like, can you write a YA crime thriller in the vein of The Good Girl's Guide to Murder or One of Us is Lying or whatever? And I said, okay. And I wrote, if you tell anyone you're next. It's, I really like a challenge. I don't mind being used in that way. I love that. I kind of like being fed ideas because you can get, you know, the gist of it. And then for me, that kind of then expands and expands i find it really hard to come up with that first idea but if someone says those yeah. things to me my brain's just going oh yeah yeah you could do this could do this so i don't mind people feeding me their ideas <laughs> totally uh, but i don't i don't think i have a shortage of ideas they i mean i'll probably get a good idea for a book maybe once a month but given that i can't actually write one book a month that means there will always be more ideas than there are mm. um you books. can sell your ideas jack <laughs> to other people you can auction them off yeah <laughs> sold <laughs> i don't know i i think i don't think the ideas on have value on their own um, <laughs> but maybe i'm wrong i mean there's there's definitely something to be said for like a catchy premise mm, yeah like, um, sure. readers will pick something up not because of it, its execution because they don't know anything about its execution just because they go like oh that's a good idea but i i actually think that the executing of those ideas mm. takes a lot more skill than the coming up with them in the first yeah, place. Yeah, for sure. Have you always had an idea every month or is that something that's um, increased the more you've increased your creativity? No, decreased. I reckon oh. when I, again, when I was a kid, I probably had a new idea for a book every day. Wow. Um, nowadays, they're, they're few and far between. I, mm. um, I had one the other day and then realised that it had been a long time since I'd had another one. Oh, interesting. So, but well, yeah, lucky I mean, you can't write a whole book in a month. So you're right. You're good. You're still yeah. good. <laughs> you you say that, but we are record. We are both doing NaNoWriMo at time of recording. Well, so. yes, but I mean, like you know, full edited. But this is a scrappy draft, right? Unless yours mm. isn't. Yours might be perfect. Yeah, no, no, no. My not. my first drafts are definitely scrappy. Yeah, as they should be. As they should be. 
Now, I want to talk about Kill Your Husbands because obviously you've got Kill Your Brother, but they're standalone, but it's kind mm. of a series. Talk to me about this. Well, it's the same cop um, investigates both yep. cases. So, and in both cases, the cop herself, uh, you wouldn't necessarily say that that she's the main character. So um, Kill Your Brother, a quick recap, is about a woman who um, is searching for her missing brother and then uh, she finds him but gets abducted herself and then discovers that he's being held prisoner by this woman who um, then says, hey, I'll release you if you kill him. That's the gist. And then so we only cut away to the cop's perspective a um, a couple of times. In the case of Kill Your Husbands, so same cop who has the same girlfriend, but other than that, it's an entirely new cast mm, of characters, I yeah. think. So you've got these um, these six adults up on the mountain. And I was looking for... Basically, having this sort of police officer who is in a relationship that I was already familiar with, it's a tricky line to walk because you don't want new readers to feel like they've missed anything. Right? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm definitely conscious of the fact that uh, I'm not J.K. Rowling. You know, I can't just have... I can't assume prior knowledge of any of my works to any of my new readers. There are a lot more people who don't know who I am than who do. Um, and in any case, a good story should always kind of stand on its own, even if it has characters yeah. from the thing before. But it is kind of nice to be writing about a character I'm already familiar with, not because you necessarily want to refer to any of their backstory, but just because you know what they would do in any yeah. given situation. <laughs> and in this case, it's kind of set in the same town as well, or at least on the outskirts of the same town. So there's already kind this of world, infrastructure. The same world, yeah. Yeah, hmm. I know... I know that the pub is called Kingo's and it's on the corner <laughs> of Victoria and Cook in this like made up uh, town. So just being able to reuse little details yeah, like that is cool. uh, really handy. But I think the main reason, and I, I don't want to give away any spoilers here. This is a, a book that's kind of um, easy to spoil if I'm not careful. But given that the um, the three couples uh who all go on holiday together. Um, obviously, at least two of those marriages end in death. <laughs> um, I won't say what happens with the other one, but it, it, it seemed like it could have been an unrelentingly dark novel. So kind of bringing in the cop and her girlfriend whose relationship can get rocky sometimes too, but there's still kind of a bit of light at the end of the tunnel mm. there. That felt like an important element to include. Yeah. But even your darkest novels, I find they always do have that humour in them, you know, whether it's through character or dialogue or something, there's always that humour to sort of bring you out of those, you know, cannibal scenes or murder <laughs> scenes. <laughs> well, you say to bring it out of it. For me, the uh, talking about the, the cannibal, series i think cannibalism lends itself to humor yeah in a, you might be right you <laughs> might be right it's a lot easier to make cannibalism funnier <laughs> than um than just a regular straight partner you might be right but i that's why i enjoy those books so much because it was always so dark and so gross there's always a laugh to be had as well so that's why i think there was really good balance for me yeah. Now let's let's talk about your favourite themes, Jack. We might need to have a bit of a psychology session here, but favourite oh, scenes okay. of claustrophobic location, limited mm -hmm. cast, secrets, sex, violence, humour and terror. 
these, Jack, I have written on a piece of paper are your favourite things. Okay, interesting. <laughs> a, a few of them I'm not allowed to include in my children's fiction. Yes, so. yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm a, well, that's probably secret sex and violence, right? Teachers hate the word secrets. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> what is on that note you passed up the back? <laughs> Sorry, do kids still pass notes? It's probably all. I think like, it's a uh, text, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I did watch The Babysitter's Club on Netflix. Now she was writing a message on a shoe, which I thought was cool. Yeah, clever. Oh, that's interesting. Anyway, <laughs> okay. what I wanted to say was yes, I really loved please. the idea of that claustrophobic location because it reminds me of those, you know, olden day murder mystery vibes where, you know, Candace murdered him with the candlestick of the library. And it also reminded me, and I've just finished watching three series of Only Murders in the Building, which I just fell in love with deeply. And it's the same kind of thing, Only Murders in the Building, obviously. And so I really like, I feel like it's making a comeback and I feel like those little claustrophobic locations with limited cast, they just have so much to add. And I love that otherworldliness about them. Is that what you were trying to create? Yeah. Um, well, definitely. You want to create uh, an environment where you won't be dependent on coincidence to keep your plot moving forward. You know, I think that's one of the reasons that small town murder is such a popular genre. It's yeah. because if you were writing something that was set in, you know, just say uh, Los Angeles and then the main character happened to bump into three people they knew <laughs> walking down the street, it would um, seem really unrealistic. And so the writer would have to come up with some very clever way to get them all in the same location. Whereas and that's annoying it's town, because you think of coincidences and like, no, it's a coincidence. I can't put that in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I reckon it's okay to kind of start your story with a coincidence. Mm. Um, but then after that, everything kind of has to flow logically. Although there's also the Pixar rule, right, which is... Um, um, coincidences that get your character out of trouble are bad, but coincidences that get your character into trouble is mm -hmm. good. So yep. mm -hmm. I think there's something to be said for that too. Yeah, but um, one of the reasons that um, endings are often harder than beginnings, I think, is because the the first let's call it the first like half of your book you're sort of introducing all these elements and then in the second half you kind of can't introduce anything new you have to just show the logical progression of all the things that you've yeah. already introduced and that can be quite difficult but often putting it in a pressure cooker environment like a single house where there's no mobile reception or something um the the reader can sit there going like okay I know who the people are. I know the layout of the house. Now I can focus kind of entirely on the plot. I don't have to kind of, um, uh, I don't have to picture anything new. Like you can just say that that uh, Isla ran into the room or Isla ran into the downstairs bedroom and the reader, you've already described yeah. that, the reader already knows it. Yeah. You don't end up having a, one of those conclusions that just drags, you know? Yeah, like it. No, I like all of that. Have you, you have you seen Only Murders in the Building yet, Jack? I have not. I've been meaning to watch it because it came up when we were pitching this series to um to film and TV people. It, it came up as a as a comp. Although um, Deadlock is kind of the more obvious comp, probably mm -hmm. because not only small town Australian murder, but you've got your male victims, you've got your female suspects. Yeah. Zinzi Okenyo is in both the audiobook of Kill Your Husbands and also the, the Deadlock ah, TV show. Interesting. So there's um, oh, lesbian cop. That would be yeah, the yeah, other yeah. obvious thing. Yeah. So 
yeah, hopefully uh, the when the book comes out it, on November 28, it will sort of resemble this other stuff enough that it appeals to people but doesn't already feel like it's being done. It's really yeah, hard no, to be kind it, of it felt really to... fresh to me, I think, particularly okay. the whole, you know, six couples partner swapping. You know, it's pretty scandalous, Jack. It's uh, not something yeah. you can put in your YA novels, thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> it was difficult because my when I was starting to write the first draft, I realised pretty quickly that, um, well, as I said to my wife, I'm like, people are going to think this is us. <laughs> and also some of it is. Like when, when you're kind of writing an argument between uh, a husband and wife, my, the, the obvious thing for me to do was kind of just to take arguments that we had actually had and then change some <laughs> of the details and put them yeah. in. And so I'll be eternally grateful to my wife for lots of reasons, but especially for this. She <laughs> just said, babe, the books you write, uh, the ones that turn out best are always the ones where you're digging around in something personal. Mm -hmm. And so just speak your truth. Like we'll we'll handle what people think of us later. That's future us. And whether people um, say yes to invitations for weekends away. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's the thing. I used to go on holidays like this with a particular group of friends and like no partner swapping ever actually happened to my knowledge to be clear <laughs> but there definitely weren't see I'm not even kidding I know you're already laughing but the thing is there weren't enough beds to go around and so often how like, convenient well so you end up sharing a bed with someone who is like maybe your ex's ex or Ooh. like someone who you nearly dated but the timing wasn't quite right this is a or, great YA novel Oh, yeah. Okay. You think? <laughs> I can never tell when you're kidding. Um, yeah, I think I think um, you can just always count on me being sarcastic. But no, I'm thinking like, oh, okay, a, sure. you know, a campsite, an excursion goes wrong, they get lost and you end up being with all these people that you kind of don't want to be with. I was just picturing a new yeah, way right. novel in my head, Jack. <laughs> yeah, that, that kind of thing. But I, I kind of wanted to capture, so those trips that I did, that was in like my early 20s, um and late teens so basically uh, think from when we were in basically when we all got our p plates we'd go to the the coast where every time <laughs> exams finished at the end of the year and stuff and then and i kind of always thought those trips would last forever like that mm. we'd keep doing that every year until we died but instead um some of us got married some of and some of our spouses didn't like the rest of the group. Um, other people moved overseas. Some people had kids, which makes these kinds of things impossible. Uh, there was like different amounts of money. Like some of us mm. could afford to go to Hawaii instead, while others such as me definitely couldn't. <laughs> and so partly Kill Your Husbands was me imagining, okay, but what if those trips had lasted forever? What if we actually tried to do it again, but in our mid-30s mm. when none of our lives have turned out exactly how yeah. we expected them to? I love that. What would that look like? Mm. I love that whole idealism of when you're younger and think it's going to last forever and then, you know, verse reality in your mid-30s. I really think that's a really interesting exploration. Yeah, totally. I think the book is partly about how it's kind of uh, maybe inevitable to to sort of fantasize about the ways your life might have gone differently mm. but if you actually try to wind back the clock and sort of uh, um you know sidestep into a different life mm. then 
everyone you love gets murdered <laughs> <laughs> oh is that the next book everyone you love gets murdered <laughs> oh no ben stevenson already took <laughs> yeah, that has, title i think or everyone you know and everyone on the train yeah great i'm title, so mad at him i wrote kill your brother and then he wrote everyone in my family has killed someone and i'm like <laughs> oh man you just had to one-up me ben, <laughs> great titles though seriously from mm. both of you by the way both of you so is there a third one kill your something else coming or are we done or you're not sure um, I'm not sure. I've learned, uh, I, I like to sort of have an outline for a sequel in the back pocket, but I try not to get too attached to it um, in case either other opportunities come up or the book flops or whatever. So I definitely, I wrote an outline for a book called Kill Your Daughter that no one liked. Yeah, and, I'm not loving it. <laughs> yeah, and then I wrote an outline for a, a book called Kill Your Boss, which everyone Ooh, loved. love so, that. Yeah, so you never know. If this book's a hit, there might be a kill your boss. Wow, um, that'll just that'll sell for sure. That, that's already <laughs> that's already written itself, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see. But I have plenty of other um, things to keep me busy if that doesn't doesn't come out. I've got a Doctor Who book that I'm working on, Ooh. like an authorized Doctor Who novel. Exciting about that. I don't know, but oh, it exists. Well, you just did. It's out there now. <laughs> you can't edit audio; it's impossible. It is and... totally impossible. Yeah, I've got a middle grade spy series um, called Spy Academy coming out next mm, year too. So awesome. um, plenty more Jack Heath turning up in bookshops. Oh, that is a relief. And so when we talk again next year, I'll say, welcome, Jack Heath, author of 67 books, something like that. <laughs> and I won't correct you because um, <laughs> it's not really lying if I just say nothing. Right? That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Jack, always a pleasure to catch up with you. I love hearing about, you know, what you're up to, where your brain's at, how your processes change. And obviously, you know, I've always been a big fan of your books. So thank you so much for sharing your time with me once again. Anytime, Danny. Thanks for having me.